It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, are you on Instagram? If so, you need to make sure you're following me over at, at Greg Clunas. You can find me Instagram.com slash Greg Clunas or just search Greg Clunas in the search bar. I am going to be publishing insane content over there over the course of this year. So make sure you get in early so you miss none of it. In this episode, I sit down with Jen Hudak to talk about what it's like being a... Well, you know what? I'm not going to spoil it. Get excited because you are now listening to Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Big changes, big changes. Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and in this episode, we are talking about what it's like being a high performer. More specifically, I'm sitting here with Jen Hudak. Jen is a two-time X Games gold medalist and ski half-pipe world champion, like a legitimate world champion. I've honestly never spoken to one of those before, at least not on my knowledge. She's also a competitor in the Amazing Race 30. And if you look through her Instagram feed, you can just see that this woman craves high performance and and just being out in nature and and doing her thing. And and so I wanted to bring her on the show to talk about what it's like, first of all, to be on that stage and, and performing at that level. But more importantly, what is required and, and what her story was like to develop that and to become the the person that she is today capable of doing all of these things. So Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing today? It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing great. Well, you know, of, of course, I've been looking forward to this for a while. We've been uh, trying to schedule for a few months now, but I'm glad that we finally got some time on the calendar. So let's start where I, I often do with guests. Uh, what seems to be the most interesting thing here, which I mean, let's be honest, all of it is interesting. But um, what is it like not only, you know, performing at this this high of a level and competing at this high of a level, but doing so to the extent of placing and winning like what is that actually like man that's a hard thing to put into words um but it's it's incredible um so a little bit of additional background i'm technically currently retired from um 
half pipe competition. So I haven't competed for about two winters and that has been a, a big challenge to kind of pull back the mindset that I, that I had when I was on top of my game and quite literally on top of the world winning competitions. Um, and when I was in that mode and I mean, it's almost like it was effortless. It wasn't that I wasn't working hard, but when you truly find the zone, when you're completely immersed and captivated by what you're pursuing, um, the, the hard work becomes relatively easy. Um, but on competition day, it's just, I don't know. I, I, my, I go to another level and I don't really know how else to describe it, but I'm fueled by competition. I love the pressure of competition. Um, and that, that moment of being asked to put everything on the line for 45 seconds to just completely surrender to the run, to what your body is capable of. Um, and your mind just kind of turns off and you go into this autopilot and it, it's the most incredible feeling in the world. So I've, I've got so many questions here. Um, <laughs> I, I think first you mentioned that, you know, you're, you're fueled and, and it seems like almost, you know, addicted to this process of, of being there and, and, uh, just going and letting your body perform. Yeah. Um, has that always been the case or is that something you develop? I think it's kind of always been the case more or less. Um, I just think that with skiing, that there's a part of it that I was, I, I was truly born with some sort of gift for skiing. And I was also given resources to be able to pursue and explore it. I mean, I was a great athlete in, in a lot of different sports and, and at a very high level, uh, in soccer and lacrosse as well. But with skiing, there was, there was something else there, um, and something sort of intangible. Um, I think part of why I loved half pipe skiing so much and with skiing being an individual sport and competing on a stage, I like the performance aspect of it. I like kind of exciting a crowd by what I'm doing physically with my body. Um, and that was always a big motivation for me, which I think is why I did well in, in contests because that added, um, incentive of having a crowd go wild for something that you're doing just pushed me to, you know, if I had any fears to set them aside. So when did you, uh, when did you start skiing? I started skiing when I was about three, Wow! Um, which is so funny because I absolutely hated wearing shoes and clothing <laughs> as a child. I just wanted to be naked all the time. <laughs> but for some reason with skiing, I didn't mind being like bundled up in layers of clothing and strapped into horribly uncomfortable boots because the feeling of just bombing down a hill as fast as I possibly could was so worth every moment. Of <laughs> That's fascinating. Um, all right. So it, you, you started at three and, you know, as you grew older, it was, it was clear that there was something there. Um, and, and thankfully you were, you sort of had the resources to, to have that nurtured or rather you provided those resources. Um, now you get to this point where you are performing on the world stage and winning on the world stage. Uh, the first ever like 
yeah. major competition you you participated in were there nerves at all or were you just like i'm going to rock it uh i think there were definitely nerves so the first major competition that i competed in was us free skiing open in vail colorado in 2004 um it was my first time out west for a half pipe contest i grew up um skiing in vermont so it was a totally different change of scene back east when i would do competitions i would be one of maybe two or three women. And I showed up in, in Colorado and there were 35 or 40 women signed up for this contest. Um, and I was, I was certainly nervous. Uh, but I also had no expectations cause I was a 17 year old girl, um, with nothing to lose. So it was pretty, pretty simple for me to just go out and, and charge hard and do what I did best, which was, go really high out of the half pipe. My amplitude was what I was known for. Uh, and I ended up landing on the podium that first, that first kind of major contest. Um, so it, it set the stage. And then of course, when you have expectations for yourself, uh, things can get a little bit more challenging. Right. <laughs> yeah. So how, how did you navigate that going forward? Um, so, Honestly, I don't, I, I always performed best when I was the underdog, when, when there was someone in front of me that I was chasing someone in front of me who everyone else was expecting to win. That was when I performed best. And I don't know that I ever truly figured it out. Um, except I don't know, in 2010, that was my, my best year. That's when I won X games in Aspen and also in France. Uh, I just, I just felt like I couldn't lose. Like I would show up at a contest. I remember in X games in France, I actually bought champagne before the contest, not even consciously (laughs) thinking that that was like an arrogant thing to do. It was just like, I was so confident in my skiing <laughs> that I just felt like, I mean, cause there's also, I mean, it's a pretty intimate sport, you know, your competitors, you know, what people are working on and, and you kind of know at a certain point, like the formula that's needed to win. And I, I just kind of felt like I had figured out the formula that year and, and the judges were on my side and momentum was on my side. Um, I won every contest that year, except for the first contest of that year in which I got second. Um, and so that was a, a totally different level. Uh, the year after that was really interesting cause I was skiing better, but the judges kind of shifted their preferences a little bit. I mean, judges are, are human. So, right they get tired of seeing the same person win and um, and they like to see things that are new and emerging and exciting. So some of the stuff I was doing, even though it was still really great skiing and potentially even better than the year before, wasn't new and wasn't exciting as some of the other girls. And so I was like, I felt like I had to go out and prove to everybody that the previous year wasn't a fluke. And it, it really, um, it really destroyed me mentally. Like I just wasn't, enjoying it. And I was still doing well. I just wasn't winning everything. Um, and it took me a while to reconcile that. And then unfortunately at the end of that year, uh, I had, I took a crash that forever changed my, my mental, 
um, sharpness, my, my ability to what I call control fear. Um, up until 2011, I felt like anytime I had gotten injured, there was always something that I could have done um, differently to keep myself safe. And there was always a learning opportunity. And I took a crash at the end of 2011 that was the most terrifying crash I'd ever had. I felt completely out of control. And I walked away feeling really lucky that it wasn't worse. And, and feeling lucky that it wasn't worse is a, is a terrible feeling because then you're like, well, if luck is involved yeah. in keeping me safe, then, you know, what am I, what am I doing here? This is really dangerous stuff. Right. Um, so are you, um, real quick, are you yeah. willing to go into detail on that crash? Yeah, I, I am. Um, so I, as I mentioned earlier, I was known for my amplitude, which is the the height that you go above the lip of the half pipe. And a half pipe, um, a half pipe wall is about twenty two feet tall, um, nearly sheer ice. And the tricks that we do, I was performing probably between ten and twelve feet above that. So at any point in time, I was thirty two, thirty four feet above the ground. Um, and I was really. I just want you to know, my like palms are sweaty <laughs> listening to this. My palms are sweating thinking about <laughs> it again. So hopefully you feel better. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I was really fired up at this contest because the the results just weren't coming that year. Even though I felt like I was skiing so well, and I was just like, "F it!" Like I'm going to go massive, and I'm going to show everybody. I was just on this mission to prove something, and I went. I went huge on this first hit. I was doing a 900, which is two and a half rotations. Um, and when I came back around to land, I realized that I, I didn't push off the wall hard enough. So I drifted towards that flat spot. Um, what we refer to as the deck of the half pipe. And as I came around, my feet clipped the deck and then just proceeded to tomahawk me down the half pipe wall. Um, so I ended up concussing myself, um, dislocating my shoulder, tweaking my knee and had like this, you know, massive scrape on my chin. Um, but it was like the first crash that I ever had where I like, I didn't see it coming. I wasn't expecting it. And so I couldn't protect myself. I couldn't keep myself safe. Um, and there's been a lot of serious head injuries in our sport. There's been spinal cord injuries, Um, people have passed away from injuries and accidents and crashes that they've had. And that was the first time where I was like, I just felt like I was, I was close to having that be my destiny. And that was not something, I mean, of course, no one plans for that and no one wants that, but it wasn't even something I had factored into a potential reality for myself. Um, and it really shook me, but at the same time, uh, the, the following summer, our sport finally got into the Winter Olympics, which is something I had been advocating for you know, my entire career. Um, and so I felt like I couldn't walk away. I couldn't stop now. I had to keep trying, um, which then led me to suppressing fear instead of appropriately managing and dealing with my fear, which then brought a whole host of other issues. Um, and ultimately in 2015, 
was why I, I decided it was time to hang up the hat because I mentally was no longer willing to take the risk that was necessary to ski at my potential. And you hinted at it in, in your introduction that I love high performance. I love high performance in everything that I do, um, which, you know, at my first job when I, out of high school, when I moved out to Utah to ski was bagging groceries. And I was a, a, a checkout girl at, the, at Whole Foods. And I just, I wanted to be the fastest one. And I wanted to know all the produce codes. And it was like Tetris to fit everything into the bag. Like, So I'm talking like very mundane things. I can, <laughs> I like want to perform on a high level. So with skiing, when it got to the point where I knew that Physically, I was capable of more than I was mentally willing to do. I needed to, I needed to hang it up. Got it. Um, okay, so this is actually a fantastic place to ask. So this terrifying moment happens, and you you've sort of acknowledged that you know it's it's more about the fact that you didn't expect it, and therefore could not do anything to protect yourself in the ways that you've probably done a million times to protect from falls. Um, and, and therefore, like luck played a factor. Once luck comes in, it's like, well, luck is going to run out at some point, right? right. Um, so how do you, now that you've, you've gone through that period of repressing the fear and then, and then finally deciding, you know, this just isn't the direction I want to go anymore. Do you have any insights as to when we are dealing with fear, whether for something as extreme as this or day-to-day life and and things that we want to pursue like how can we better deal with that yes absolutely i have i have an answer for that because uh the kind of fear that i was dealing with on a regular basis is is insane i mean it is like it is serious risk um and so in those few years you know from when that that first seed was planted of realizing that there were things that were out of my control um, and recognizing that I had to I had to figure out a way to manage my fear in order to continue skiing and to continue um, trying to reach these goals uh, it really became a, a system of, of fear management um, so I suppressed fear for six months and I was in complete denial I didn't even admit that I was scared to do the trick that I did that I ended up crashing on and I would avoid doing it at all cost, and I wouldn't acknowledge the fact that I was scared. Um, and in January that following winter, so about 10 months later, I ended up having a devastating crash on a jump, um, tearing my ACL in my right knee, uh, cracking my femur. I was leaking bone marrow into my knee cavity. I tore meniscus, cartilage, the posterior lateral corner. I mean, the whole, it felt like a bomb went off in my knee, and it took three surgeries to come back from that. Um, and, and in that time, I really had to say, okay, like, what is going on here? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And I decided that if I didn't try to make a comeback and I didn't try to go to the Olympics, which is what I set out to do, that I would forever be asking myself, what if, what if you had tried, what if you had pushed a little harder? What if you figured out a way to manage your fear? Um, and so I knew I had to go, I, I knew I had to try. And from there on, it just became a matter of acknowledging my fears and saying, yep, this is scary. That makes sense that it's scary, but here's all the reasons why 
you don't actually need to be scared in this moment because you've done this trick this many times before, because you've been in the gym all summer, because you're the strongest you've ever been, because this is actually easier than things you've done before, all these things. So focusing instead on what I was afraid of, which was this outcome of falling and crashing and getting injured, I would focus on all of the things and all of the reasons why I was capable of doing um, whatever it was that I was setting out to do that day. And I think that that's something, I mean, I use that in my daily life. Anytime I start doubting myself, instead of going down the rabbit hole of self-doubt, you pause for a second and pull yourself back and then say, okay, instead I'm going to list all the reasons why I can do whatever it is that I'm setting out to do. So why is it that, um, well, or no, first, uh, a better question. Do you believe that, you know, making that list, uh, do you think it's, it's necessary for it to be like written out or is it a mental list? Like what is the, the process for that? I think it probably depends on the person. When I was really in the midst of it, I was doing a lot of journaling. Um, I think that when you're, if you find yourself in a fearful state, like more often than not, that taking the time to write it makes it a little bit more real. It makes it more tangible and you believe yourself a little bit more. It's like, you know, saying the affirmation out loud versus just thinking it in your head. Um, and so I was doing a lot of that more actively. Now, I feel like I I did it enough in my ski career. Maybe that the things that I was dealing with then were were so scary that um, that I don't I don't feel like I need. I still like writing, um, but I don't feel like I need to write it down uh, quite as much. But I think it really just depends on the person. Right, that makes sense. Whatever it takes to make you truly believe it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you feel like you're just telling yourself stuff to tell yourself stuff, it's not going to help you. You have to get yourself to a point where you're like, Oh yeah, no, I trust myself in this and I'm right. I can do Mm. this. So why do you think this works? Like if you had to make a, (laughs) what either an educated guess, or I don't know if maybe you've researched it. Like, why does this work? I feel like I should actually know the answer to this because <laughs> I, I studied psychology in college and I, I read about this kind of stuff all the time. But um, uh, I don't know about the science, but I feel like, you know, what we think about most we attract. And um, and I did that to myself in my skiing career. I 100% can see it now. Um, I just thought about the worst too many times. Uh, to allow the best to happen to it just, I, I wasn't thinking about it in the right way all the time. Um, right. And now I don't know. I feel like it's the energy that we put out and, and by thinking about things in a positive way and creating more of that positive energy and setting yourself up. I mean, it's kind of like the power stance thing where before you go into an interview, if you stand and you make yourself really big, you, you're perceived so much better in that, in that interview. Like you emit more confidence because you stood in a power position before you walked in the door and that kind of stuff. I mean, everything is, is energy. Um, and so I just want to have the right kind of energy around me and it feels better to feel confident than it does to feel scared. So when I find myself feeling scared, I just kind of default 
to saying, okay, I don't like how this feels. So let's shift out of it and, and find a way to feel better. It's out of my own fear and discomfort, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now, yeah, it it almost reminds me of, um, and I can't remember the name of the bias or or whatever it is that does this, but you know how when you decide you want to buy a certain car or phone or whatever it is, you start seeing that everywhere? Yeah. Confirmation bias? Yeah. Confirmation bias? I th- that might be it. But um, it, it just reminds me of that concept, right? So you all of a sudden allow your brain to start letting in information about this thing that's always been there, but because it hasn't been your focus, because it hasn't been the thing that right. you're thinking about, all of a sudden it it just seems to appear out of nowhere, right? And, and so by right. listing it out, maybe whether by hand or, or just in your head, repeating it to yourself, whatever it is, maybe like all of a sudden you start to allow yourself to notice those things about you and those positive things about you instead of whatever it is that's driving that fear. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's absolutely. Does it seem like it has any merit to it or am I crazy? No, no, it totally seems like there's merit to it. And I think the other thing, like we tend to dwell, it's like, it's easy to get sucked into the, to the negativity and to dwell on, you know, I feel like we're all our own biggest critics. So it's easy to get sucked into that. And by stopping for a second and like, reminding yourself of all the reasons why like we forget about those things we truly just forget that we are capable sometimes um and so by pausing and like you said writing it down you're like wow i actually just listed seven reasons why i can do this and yet yeah. i was spending 95% of my time thinking about the one reason why i can't yeah that's that's huge and that's actually a really good way of looking at it you know there's like 10, 15, 20 reasons why you're incredible. And then there's this one tiny little thing, but that gets all of your attention for whatever reason. I don't know why humans do that, but uh, you kind of self-sabotage a little bit. Um, So I want to talk really quickly. We've, uh, we've, or rather you've touched on this so far, but we haven't actually, you know, mentioned it or, or like really dove into it. This concept of flow. Um, Now I'm I'm Mm. guessing that when you're in your your element, when you're you're on the half pipe or or whatever it is you're doing now, you kind of have to let your brain turn off and just go, right? You absolutely do. Um, my I had a pre run ritual before every single half pipe run, not just competition run, every single half pipe run, um, where I would stand at the top with my eyes closed. I would visualize my run to the point of making the, the, there's a tiny movement you do at the top of a half pipe wall to set a trick. And so I would, I would make that movement with my, my upper body and I would feel the trick. It was like, it was full body visualization. It wasn't just seeing it in your head. It's feeling how it's going to feel when you're executing it. And I would do that all the way from start to finish. If I mess something up, I would rewind it do it over again until I did the run perfectly. I would open my eyes, look down the half pipe wall, do one big exhale, double click my poles behind my back and drop in. And at that point of pushing off, it was like the mind turned off and your body is just going and you are an absolute flow. There's sort of an echo chamber. Like you can kind of hear 
ambient noise around you, but you're not consciously thinking about the announcer and what they're saying, but you can kind of hear this echo almost. And things are, it's so fast, but it's slowed down. Everything is just like, I mean, it's, it's absolutely just flow. It becomes complete effortlessness. And when you finish a run like that, I mean, it literally has brought tears to my eyes and chills all over my body where you just have tapped into something almost beyond yourself. Like it feels bigger than you sometimes. Um, and that, that is the feeling that I miss because I am not good enough at anything else in life (laughs) to quite have that (laughs) flow state. Um, at least not yet. So, well, so then this is, this is interesting because I want to know, obviously you're a, a freaking superwoman when it comes to to this but have you been able to whether by visualization or creating a process elsewhere have you been able to utilize like flow in your regular day-to-day life like is it something that you're able to tap into to improve your productivity or are you still trying to figure out how to translate it i think the one piece with the flow state for anything that you're doing is that you have to love what you're doing enough to get there. And I find it with my writing sometimes where I'll have an idea, I'll have a concept. I'm sure you can relate to this and it'll sit with you for a while and you'll think about it and you'll just go about your day and you'll like, think about this and think about days turn into like weeks. (laughs) Like you've thought about this concept so much and you haven't really written anything yet. And then all of a sudden one night at a super random freaking time, you're compelled. Like it's just all of it has like, yeah, like crystallized. 23 in the morning. Yes. And you're like, okay, well now I have to write it. <laughs> <laughs> and you just, and then it's, and then it's not hard. You're not sitting there struggling with the words. It's just all of a sudden it's there. Um, and that's, that's great if you're not on a deadline. <laughs> um, right. but, uh, sometimes you kind of need to force yourself to just put words out there, which is something that I'm practicing now is that, sometimes done is better than perfect. But, um, but I have found the flow with writing and, and a little bit with mountain biking, but it has to be, uh, so I, I, after I stopped competing in half pipe skiing, I decided to start competing in enduro mountain biking, (laughs) uh, another super safe sport. Um, and (laughs) that like, as long as it's, it's a difficult trail, but it's not too difficult. That's the other piece. It's like you have to be right on that threshold of your potential in order to be in flow. So if it's too easy, you're not going to get in a flow state. And if it's too hard, you're not going to get in a flow flow state. So it's just finding that right balance, that right on the cusp of your potential in, in this moment today. So that, that obviously it it will change over time. You know, the runs that I did earlier in my career where I was in flow state were easier runs than the runs that I was doing later when I was in flow state, if that makes sense. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And as I'm hearing all of this, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how can I translate uh, these lessons that that are coming from uh, your your career in extreme sports, and you said something that I think is probably the most like the most valuable thing for me. It's something I haven't heard, but but is incredibly important. Is flow comes when you're on the threshold of your potential, and so my brain immediately yeah. is scrambling to figure out 
well, how do I translate that to sitting in my office and like filing? Paper, right? <laughs> like, how do I? And, and right. Like you said, you have to love what you're doing. Like that is a, a major part of it. So I don't love f- filing paperwork. I'm probably never going to find a flow state in that. But like, whatever right. it is, like, how can I create a scenario where I almost like engineer being on that cusp of my potential? Any any thoughts on that or? Well, I think so for your, you know, paperwork filing, filing example. Um, I mean, I think there's certain things that it's not worth trying to get into the flow state for. Um, right, but there's still course. certainly like those things need to be done. And those things, having your paperwork filed will help create the space for you to say, be able to get into a flow state um, with writing. And like, if your paperwork isn't filed and you're, and it's lingering in the back of your mind, then you getting into a flow state with the, the things that you're truly trying to achieve and accomplish in your life, like it's not going to happen. So I feel like, cause I'm in kind of that boat, I'm in a, in an interesting transition phase now where I have a, a nine to five desk job, which is such a different life than I had lived. I mean, I'm 31 now. I retired when I was 29. And from age 17 to 29, I was, you know, on my own schedule, traveling the world, doing this like crazy high adrenaline sport. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you're in a desk, you're on a computer for eight plus hours a day. What is going on? Um, And I struggled really hard with it for a while until I sort of shifted my perspective on it where it was like, well, this right now is, is funding and it's helping me to lay a foundation for the things that I want to do. And so if I don't, if I neglect that, then I'm not going to be able to find that flow state in, in writing or in mountain biking or on my skis, because I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to be, it's going to be in the back of my mind that I'm, I'm dropping the ball in my job. And no, is right. it like absolutely the thing I'm the most passionate about? No, but I want to do it well because I don't want to be doing anything in my life if I'm not trying to do it well. That's just wasting everyone's time. Um, and I'm not here right. to waste time. So I'm sort of rambling now. I mean, your your question, how do you find flow state in things that aren't necessarily sport? Um, flow state isn't, it's not a, you're not always there. I wasn't always in flow when I was skiing. So I would say to just be mindful and aware. And then if you feel extra inspired and compelled, then, then stop whatever else it is that you're doing and, and, and go with that feeling. Because I don't even know that I could have always controlled the times when I was truly in flow state. Sometimes it's just it's just there and you just have to be able to go with it. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I almost wish that this was like the movie Limitless and you could just turn it on and off when needed. But totally. So And I'm sure we, there's people that are better at turning it on and off. <laughs> right, right. When needed. Well, I've heard I've heard that meditation that's one of the big, big benefits of doing it for years is being able to come in and out of whatever state you need to be in. I'd love to to shift gears a little bit. And you when you were describing, you know, your process prior to every single half pipe, 
you you described this routine that you went through. How did you develop that? And um, more importantly, how how do you think about developing you know these these rituals or routines that we should be doing, whether it's a morning routine or a nightly routine or like a pre-writing routine? Like what are how can we de- develop these things that help us to, if not enter flow, at least help us get into the right mindset? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know where uh, my routine fully originated from. The the visualization thing, the first time I worked, I worked with like a, a visualization slash hypnotherapist when I was in high school um, to work on visualizing my ski runs. And I think I went to see her like three times and I was like, yep, I get it. I'm in like, this is what I'm doing. And so the visualization piece uh, was with me from a, a very early point. And I still use visualization today. I use it mountain biking all the time. I'll still use it skiing. Um, I don't compete in half pipe anymore, but I've gotten very much into mountaineering with my husband. And so we're sometimes on extremely exposed giant mountains covered in snow in really vulnerable situations where it's high consequence and you don't want to mess up because it's not going to be pretty. Um, and so in those moments I use visualization again and visualization for me is just, it's extremely calming um, because you start seeing things going right instead of seeing things going wrong, which is what so many of us do when, when fear sets in, we just start immediately seeing everything unraveling and and going wrong. Um, and so visualization is like a hundred percent essential for me. As far as the other details of like the clicking of poles or other things that you would do, um, you know, before bed, I think as long as whatever you're doing to you signifies that what you're doing next, um, is like, is go time and you create and reinforce that through habit. I mean, it's really like any kind of habit change, uh, repetition. Yeah. And yeah, it reminds me of, um, when you first mentioned, you know, like the clicking thing, it reminded me of, uh, Pavlov dog, Pavlov's dog. Right. So sort of this like conditioning of right. whether it's the clicking or a sound or an action, like helping you get into that place by, by hearing something that's always been associated with it. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, are you familiar with Mel Robbins, the the five second rule? Oh uh, yeah. That was a uh, book club read about two months ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. Perfect. So that I feel like when I, I just recently heard about this and I was like, well, cause she'll say, she's like the five second rule always works when I use it. Meaning if I go five, four, three, two, one, and then I do something, then I'm doing it. So therefore it works. If I go five, four, three, two, one, and I don't do anything, does that count as it not working? Or is that you just not using it? Do you, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, that's a really good question. <laughs> if you <laughs> something where it's just like, anytime I do this, this motion, this action, it means that I am about to step into performer mode or I'm stepping into hard work mode and I'm setting aside any kind of thing that distracts me and I'm just going to go and do whatever this thing is that's helping me get to my ultimate goal, even though I don't totally want to do it. Um, If you just create that and you stick with it for two weeks and you just make it be your habit and your thing, 
it just becomes a part of you. And that's how it was with my skiing. It was like that. I mean, down to like, I would even do this little, like, I'd kind of like pull my pants down. So they were like situated in the right spot on my hips so that <laughs> like things would just be exactly as they needed to be for me to perform. And I knew that meant it was gen performance mode, like go time. You're turning into superhero on skis. Um, and I was a, I was a phenomenal competitor. I was not by any means the most talented acrobat or skier. I just, I knew how to tap into what was possible for me. Like I almost always skied better on contest day than I did in training. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, it seems like you're still an incredible competitor. I mean, you're, you're obviously applying that to uh, mountain biking, you're obviously applying that to your full-time job and, and just life in general. So it sounds like you found this thing that was your strength and have just been doubling down on that ever since. Yeah. And that actually brings up another really good point is we really need to focus on our strengths. We spend a lot of time focusing on our weakness, especially people like us that are focused on self-improvement. It's like, okay, where are my weaknesses so that I can improve them? But if we, if we neglect our strengths, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Um, and that I'm really glad you mentioned it because it's something that I, I had to apply in the, the later days of my ski career. Um, because I was no longer in a position to be like learning new tricks and, and taking the same kind of risks that I was when I was younger. And so I really had to focus on my strengths and focus on just letting my strengths shine um, so that they would carry me as far as I could go. And I think that that's, it's a nice little reminder. I need that in my, <laughs> my life right now. So thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, thank you. Um, all right. So as we, we, we wrap up here, I, I just have to ask, what is your, uh, like the average person? So the non superwoman, <laughs> how can we treat our lives as, as competition day, how you treated competition day? Like how can we start to approach our jobs or, or our goals or, or whatever it is with this idea of I'm going to go in and I'm going to do the best I can and then I'm going to leave it all on the field. Like, how, how can we do that? I think that that comes from creating a vision for yourself in your life. I was pretty miserable at my desk job when I didn't know why I was there. And I maybe I created the meaning and the reason for me being there. But financially, I need this job. And I cannot be in a position to do the things that I ultimately want to do in my life, like help transitioning athletes when they retire and focus more on coaching and focus more on writing. I couldn't do that if I didn't have a job supporting me. So if we don't have a vision for where we want to go in life, then the things that we're doing on a daily basis feel meaningless. And it's not fun or enjoyable or motivating to do things that feel meaningless. So reframing the way that you look at your job or whatever task it is that you're that you're taking on in this moment and connecting it to the bigger picture of your life. I think when we can do that, it allows us to tap into something greater in ourselves. Um, and we can turn these sort of simpler mundane things into something more important and ultimately more enjoyable, even when 
they're not the most enjoyable thing. Oh man, that's hitting home right now. Um, Jen, I, I, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Uh, I, this has been an incredible conversation. I've definitely learned a ton and there's stuff here that I'm not even going to really be able to parse through until I re-listen to it and, and hear it again. So I, I just really want to thank you for your time and, and being willing to share your story and your journey with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I've I've been enjoying listening to your podcast. And I think what you hone in on in, in these tiny things, like it is so important to not overwhelm ourselves with trying to tackle, you know, carry the universe on our shoulders all at once. And, and you've done just such a good job um, painting that picture for people. So thank you for everything that you're doing as well. Thank you so much. I mean, for all of you listening, that came from a, uh, a world champ and a gold medalist. So it's got to be true, right? Um, <laughs> uh, That's right. Is there uh, like, what is the best way that we can either connect with you or support you or, or what, like, what can we do to, to add value to you? Um, man, I mean, I, I'm just one for sharing. Um, my Instagram is probably the best way to connect with me. It's just Jen Hudak at Jen Hudak on Instagram. And then my website as well, jenhudak.com. Um, but any messages or comments that you guys leave in there, I always do my best to get back to them. Um, and I, I just love connecting with people and, and sharing in this journey because it's a pretty special thing that that we're all on right now. Perfect. So that's Jen Hudak, H-U-D-A-K, or you can see it in the uh, episode title. And of course, that Instagram and website will be linked up in the episode notes. Uh, thank you again, Jen. This has been a fantastic conversation. With that said, I've been Greg Clunas. If you have not already, click that subscribe button. It is the absolute best thing you could do to say thank you for just just you know, this show. And, and if you like this, make sure you subscribe. That's all I can say. If you haven't already, make sure you join the Facebook community. We are doing one book per month in a book club. We've got like 2,900 members now. So it is growing and conversations are flowing. Head over to Facebook, search Tiny Leaps or facebook.com slash groups slash Tiny Leaps. Thanks again to Jen Hudak for sharing all of her experience, all of her knowledge with us. I cannot wait to uh, just listen to this again and, and start to wrap my head around how I can use the principles of a high performer and a superwoman in my paper filing. Uh, so remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day, every day. Every day.